Welcome to the Delish Guestless Podcast, a deep dive into the lives and work of Hong Kong's crazy food and beverage industry leaders, hosted by The Beat Asia magazine. This episode, we sit down and chat with Matt Richardson and Ryan Nightingale, both intertwined in many ways with the infamous Shady restaurant and bar family, representing Shady Acres, Dive Bar Honky Tonks, Music Thumping Quality Goods Club, and Jewish-styled Mendel's Deli. Already big names in Hong Kong's food scene, Matt and Ryan schmooze with The Beat Asia about growing one of Hong Kong's favorite group of eclectic venues throughout protests and COVID, and expanding their mini empire in new directions this year. Hello listeners in Hong Kong, Asia and beyond. We are speaking today with Matt Richardson, partner and director of Honky Tonks and more, and Ryan Nightingale co-owner of Shady Acres and more at Honky Tonks Tavern, which was awarded the Campari Award at Asia's Best 50 Bars in 2022. If you've ever eaten dinner or drunk in Soho after dark, you're bound to have entered a Matt Ryan trademarked venue, ranging from the electric and gravitas Shady Acres, Americana-inspired Honky Tonks Tavern, bumping retro-quality goods club, or the New York Jewish-style Mendel's Deli. Braving the four-year storm of protests in 2019 and COVID-19 for three years, Matt and Ryan, alongside dozens of cousins in the Shady family, are ready to break ground in 2023. Thank you guys for joining us. Your household names in Hong Kong, but when did that story start for the both of you? Ah, When did I move here? Um, I moved to Hong Kong, I think it was 2016, uh, straight from London to Hong Kong, uh, when everything was... Pumping in uh, and exciting here. Uh, yeah. When did you move, Ryan? Uh, I moved in the summer of 2014 um, from London, but via Canada. Um, and worked for big restaurant groups, kind of never been to Asia before, and decided to, to move to Hong Kong. So. Interesting. I guess the story of the Shady family, I, this is, I guess, what people come to say, the, the cousin, the sort of entourage that create these venues it began the story in 2019. Why did you guys switch from corporate F&B to managing, you know, this, uh, this CV of uh, real concept bars and restaurants? I think for myself, um, I moved over here from, from London to work for Black Sheep, uh, directly over. And it was, in F&B, it's quite hard to move countries when you're at a certain level with management. Uh, you can go, you can go to Dubai, you can work in places like that. But to come over to Asia, just didn't, I didn't know there would be that many opportunities coming here. So I got approached one day um, on LinkedIn by Black Sheep saying, would, I want to come over here. Um, I remember I was on a bus going through London. I thought, that's interesting. I uh, went home, told my partner, and said, you know, what do you think about this? And uh, she seemed up for it. So Chris Nassim, who are the, uh, the owners, uh, the founders of Black Sheep, then came to London the following week. I met up with them. I said, anything keeping you here? I said, yeah, my partner. I said, we'll give her a job too. So it was kind of an opportunity that I just didn't think I could turn down uh, to, be, to move over to Hong Kong um, and work with this big company. And it's companies like that which I think have the gravitas to be able to, 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 be able to bring over expats. Um, so it was a really good way into the city. It was you know, secure. I remember thinking, worst case, if I don't like it, I can, just, I can probably just run away. <laughs> was it the same gravity that drew you from back in Canada straight to Hong Kong with that sort of corporate role? Um, well, I, I guess, yeah, I worked for an expanding company as well in London, and they were expanding over, over to Asia. And um, I guess, you know, coming, coming to 
um, any new city as a you know, mid twenties or or whatever, you you really are kind of awestruck by everything. This the shift of change, and you know, it's a different culture, um, different culture in the workplace as well. And you're trying to bring some of that while still working and being part of it. And I think that's where like the people who've lasted in Hong Kong are the ones who kind of brought both their own culture and melded into the culture of Hong Kong. Um, but then I think with that as well, you kind of you kind of get itchy to do something more because you do start to see as you're weaving your way through the gaps or the holes or the things that you you miss about certain aspects from, from your home that you do want to bring here. So, Do you think it's the investment in time and years spent in Hong Kong that allows you to become a bit more experienced, a bit more risky uh, in F&B? Yeah, for sure. I think after being here for a few years, you, you understand the level of land and just what people, what drives the city um, and what makes it so special. So it gives you a bit more. I never thought I would, when I moved here, I thought I'd just be a black sheep forever because it's hard to imagine, I think, working for anybody else when you're here at the beginning mm. because you're so reliant on, on that company to kind of to keep you in safe in a way. You know, there's, there's a lot of expenditure moving here as well. Um, but after a few years, you kind of you, you make your own friendship groups and you see bigger things. And then I don't know when the exact shift was for me that thinking this could be some way, you know, you could be a business owner. But um, it does come and then you just see just there's so much opportunity for it. Absolutely. You managed five restaurants within Black Sheep and then also brought Ahan over to Hong Kong. Yeah. What was the pull away from that, from that corporate side to this risk of creating essentially bar after bar without much, I guess, structure of, you know, you're in a larger sort yeah. of entity? It was, um, it was COVID, which made me do it. So um, oh. once I'd left Black Sheep, I was work, you know, working with the Ahan guys. Um, I still do, still do work with them. But my job was to look after Asia Pacific for that group. So we have some stuff in Aust- uh, some long-term restaurants in Australia, uh, a place in Bangkok and more entities around Thailand. But I couldn't travel. I could work from my laptop. But I, I was stuck in Hong Kong and we have the venues here, but it wasn't really enough to keep, especially in COVID times, it wasn't enough to necessarily justify what I did for a living and also keep me fully engaged. Um, and then I, I spoke to Mike and Ryan, um, who are partners here. Ryan obviously is one next to me. Um, and, uh, and I said, look, we're doing this project. I said, well, I've got some time on my hands. I thought, well, let's, let's, let's do it all together. So it's purely out of that, that uh, just wanting to keep moving and focused and trying to, trying to see new things in this industry, uh, which, which allowed that to happen. So with COVID, it was also a little bit probably of a get out of jail free card in a way that the expectations were quite, were quite low in. If we could just open something and it survived, I'd be proud. <laughs> We did that. Ryan, uh, what is it like, the partnership in the beginning, you know, joining uh, the sort of threesome to open up uh, a restaurant when it was really risky, you know, when there was not much future in uh, Hong Kong and across the world about what was going to happen? Yeah, well, I mean, so many things changed across these these years since COVID was happening and coming from Shady Acres and adapting several times and just kind of thinking on your feet. I guess when you find correct kind of venue, you know, starts to attract even more. There's a magnetism from after what we did with Shady Acres to let's do something new. So when we when we were looking for another partner to help us expand, there was already kind of um, a momentum going for us. And the risks are there, yes. But sometimes you just get so focused on what, mm. what do you need to do tomorrow? What do you need to do the next day? And there was a, yeah, there was a lot of um, energy and momentum that, that was keeping up. And, and I think that's, that's a big part of it as well. 
there's such unreal conditions from what what we're used to doing as far as the right way to expand business and doing these things. So, um, but there's always the need to strike while that iron is hot. So, that's do you think? Do you think the the collective collection, this family of venues, is a sort of fucky resistance to the changes in Hong Kong Shady Acres? Is you know, a lot of cocktail bars opening in 2019, but there's no real natural wine bar. Uh, Honky Tonks is a space where you can enjoy food and wine under a concept that really hasn't evolved so much in Hong Kong. Quality Goods Club, Mendel's Deli. Is there a sort of resistance? Uh, I mean, I think I think the consciousness of it was just that um, wanted to find a place that I really would like. And I felt that mm. um, coming up from other cities and seeing how things advanced and and grew, and there was um, a Hong Kong had its explosion, but then it didn't feel like it was trying to catch up on its own self um, and kind of carve out what the niches were. And yeah, I mean, look at our prices at the beginning of Shady Acres. It was a little bit of a, it was a little bit of a fuck you. You yeah. have to pay $150 for a cocktail. <laughs> That's, is it good or not? You don't know until you sip it, right? So there was a little bit of that, that attitude, but I, th- I think it was more just looking inward of like what did we want and what did we want to showcase of the things that we were proud of rather than trying to push anyone else down. I think Hong Kong still is such a small city and even leaving more of a group role and things like that, um, still learned so much and, and kept in touch with all, all those people there that, that for us to, to kind of turn around and be that area. And I think a lot of people thought that at first. It was, yeah. Yeah, there is a... There was a big draw in a way to, to not be corporate and, and a bit of a fuck you when it came to everything, whether that be uniforms, reporting, you know, we're like, we'll, we'll do all the thing. We'll, we won't do anything we didn't like. And then you quickly realize there's a reason why processes <laughs> exist. And then uh, and you slowly start thinking, ah, yeah, that made sense now. Um, but you find a middle ground, you know, you, you make sure that you're doing, we do things the way we want, but we make sure we, 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 we're compliant and we, we do, we make it also smooth and streamlined, but. It's a nice, it's a really nice kind of, as you said about the price of drinks, you know, we, we charge what we think is correct. Mm. We, we're not there to, we don't have big corporations to pay, you know, we don't have, we're not a small group by any chance, you know, we have 65 people who work within the group now, so it's not small. So we have to, we have a lot more to think about than we did uh, mm. a few years ago, but, uh, but we get to do it our way, which is always fun. Absolutely. I guess the underlying theme is tongue in cheek and yeah. it's a bit raw as well. Probably, Yeah. Coming to 2020, when you guys open Honky Tonks, it's, it's something that Hong Kong, like I said, hasn't really seen before. Very Americana-inspired. We're inside somewhere where you wouldn't think that you're in Hong Kong, but you step outside, you're in Soho. Hmm. What was the intention behind really driving this, this force? Well, I think a few of us have always just been drawn to that very uh, American-Western kind of sensibility of somewhat of a dive bar um, with... A space that feels like it's already kind of well worn in. There was, there was so much that we learned from opening up Shady Acres and doing that on a tighter budget, to then kind of turn around and flex in a in a different space. You know, this is our most themed kind of space when we open this up. So it was it was built with an intention to be a space that felt warm and and I don't know, like vaguely North American. Yeah, we've got. I mean, our bartenders are American. Mexican and Canadian when we first opened up. So that was like the whole of North America kind of checked <laughs> off. Um, 
Yeah. People thought we were a Canadian bar for a good year yeah. as well. We Ryan, had, what are you doing? Here? <laughs> yeah. We did have a sign that we said Canadian restaurant because we thought it was funny. Found it in the trash. And people <laughs> took it too literally. Yeah. And like there was a few articles which talked about this new Canadian restaurant. <laughs> uh, so that sign went, got taken down. <laughs> Is it important as well? Because I know Quality Eagles Club, uh, they kickstarted a dinner menu uh, only a few months ago. Is it important to not only deliver a cocktail and wine menu, but bring that in with food as well, show the creativity there? For sure. I mean, we're, we're predominantly uh, wet businesses, you know, say 80% of our, our revenue comes through beverage. But it's really important to have the food element to sober people up, to give, you know, some options. And also just to just to increase the amount of, uh, I don't know, like bows to your guitar in a way that we can offer more to people. You can come here and you don't lose guests because someone at the table is hungry. Mm. Um, you always want to have something to appeal to people to be able to stay as long as possible. I think that's something Quality Goods Club has been um, something we've strived for. The more you can offer people, the longer they stay in the venue. So, you know, you can capture more of their evening out. Yeah, and I think a lot of our favorite places are always places that kind of blur that line between is it more restaurant or more bar? Does it kind of swing one way or the other or grow into it? And I think, I think that was the more intention of, yeah. Do you think you guys have consciously created hangout spaces instead of just restaurant and bars? I think so for here especially. Mm. Um, Shady Acres, it's a little bit harder when you're near as a guest because there isn't really as much standing room, if any, really, in, um, at points. When Honky Tonks, I think, off that was then designed to have, it, it can be very loose here at the weekend. There's people everywhere. And we particularly made two sides to this venue where there's more a standing bar where you walk up to, self-serve, and there's a seated restaurant side where we look after you. Mm-hmm. Um, and giving that idea of, you know, as for table return times, we never push people out, none of that stuff. All the things that do immediately make you feel like you can't hang out for a long time. And we wanted to get rid of that. Make you feel like you could be here all night. Yeah. And we got friends and, and regulars and people who live in the neighborhood who, you know, if you don't see them for a while, you kind of wonder, oh, where did they go? <laughs> so, yeah, so they, yeah. They, they're, they're hanging out here. So, Seeing yeah. someone sat with a glass of wine on like a, like a Saturday afternoon, just reading a book is like the nicest thing. <laughs> it's so nice to see that, and it happens here. Yeah. So... Within the family, you guys have concepts that haven't really been seen in Hong Kong before. Taking to Quality Goods Club, a jazz, funky house space that no other Langkwai or sort of Soho space is kind of performing. And then Mendel's Deli as well, so a Jewish-style New York diner uh, that really blew waves early last year. Is it important to have a real concrete concept behind uh, that sort of funk and that style? Or is it just, you know... Oh, damn, we have a Canadian on our team. Let's do something Canadian. Or we have a Brit, let's do some fish and chip stuff. <laughs> I think it's, some are more important than others. So Mendel's has to be very, that has to have a real story to it. Mm. Um, a reason why, why we've chosen that, that cuisine, really, and that route. And I think the things to resonate, we can't just put anything on the wall and claim to be an American bar. We have to have, there has to be deeper ties to it than that. Conceptually, I think that's always from the beginning. Like, what, what do we want to do? What do we believe we can pull off and authentically deliver? Whether it, you know, in our own take of it as well. Um, places like Honky Tonks and Shady Acres can be a little bit looser. Um, Quality Goods Club probably also has to be quite, we need to know what that is. And it has to be a, a, a tagline for what that, what that venue is offering. I mean, sitting down on this table right now, we have about eight different cultures just between the four of us, if not more. <laughs> but we all consider ourselves Hong Kongers. Yeah. Expats live abroad, away from their family. Locals love traveling us Hong Kongers, we always want that bit of escape. Is it important 
that when you enter a shady family restaurant that you are escaping a bit to, you know, New York East Side. Uh, you're going down to Canada. You're going up to maybe a bit of L.A. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think, I think touchstones to, to some, somewhere else is, is important. I guess, like, when it comes to bringing that forward, you know, I, I don't think we've ever really fully claimed to, to try to be authentic. I like the idea of being more genuine than authentic, um, just to kind of weave that way through of just like, hey, these are things that I care about. These are the, what, what people who work here are caring about, and we want to present it in a certain way. And I think always at most venues, you do need to, to kind of tie some neat boxes and kind of tight little bows to be able to present what you are wanting to put forward. And having, you know, like a structured venue, like a New York deli, um, allows us to serve, you know, stuff that we still want to present. It's just delicious food, right? So, and, it, and when, when that ties in to be that experiential, the guests coming in and that, that creates this feedback loop of, okay, now we recognize what people really are kind of getting from this place, like honky-tonks. We didn't have all of this art on the walls. It, it built up over over time, and you know, the amount of times people talked about like the Billy Bass singing story when we put that up, message us about it on Instagram, and tells us little stories of when they were a kid to saw that. That's that's that kind of experience, I guess we're we're aiming for when it comes to building a concept around it is to to get that little interaction with people. So. I mean, this this story of uh, of your group began when people from outside stopped coming as much because of the protests and when people from outside couldn't come for the mm. past three years because of COVID. Entering this new year, you know, what are the chapters that you guys want to create in 2023? I'm just excited for people to come here for the first time again. It was so weird. It was your, it was your first line in every, every F&B person's like script of a table, have you been here before? And then nobody said that in about three years. You didn't have to, <laughs> um, but now to be able to meet people for the first time, show them, show them this place. I think the excitement we'll all get and the teams will get from you know, it's like just seeing it. Hopefully, the excitement and confusion in people's faces of like, where the fuck they are, um, and then and then helping them plan their night out. That was always one of my favorite things. Uh, be like, you need to go here. You need to go here. <laughs> list some of our own venues within that list. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that, that's what I want to see from the year coming forward. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean it's it's um, fun to see tourists lost with maps again, and and um, <laughs> you know, and I think that kind of that has like a double effect as well. If other places are busier, your regulars of the last few years are going to come and and support you as well, and there's just going to be a bigger kind of overflow. And and I think Hong Kong's going to get that with its neighborhoods again, and and I think it's been important to kind of stay as relevant, push hard. I, I know lots of restaurant groups and a lot of people have been, you know, constantly trying to reinvent yourself. Hong Kong is a city of, you know, sometimes very fickle attitudes when it comes to new places. It has to be new, new, new all the time. And when you had tourists in as well, that newness could last a little longer. Um, so I think places that have kind of pushed through, it's nice to see venues that are four, five, six, eight years old. Yeah. Holy Folk reinvented itself. It's uh, yeah. nine or eight or nine yeah. same time I got here um, and I think I think all that work that's been put through I think is going to really kind of shine through in 2023 I think a lot of places are going to get you know even more of that motivation to keep uh, reinventing themselves and then being proud of what they've done mm. and got 
Mm. What are you guys most proud about in the past four years? I think for me, it's it's the team. It's the retention. Keeping, 65 is a lot of people. <clears throat> yeah, having 65 people now work for us. You know, we've we've still got so many of the original team who opened the venues. Um, Magnus at Shady Acres, you know, Adam, Vina, all those guys here from, from day, day one of us opening these venues. And we're still all here together. Um, and through, like, the headwinds of COVID, to be able to still have the same team is, is amazing. Um, that's my proudest thing, I think. Just just making sure we're, all, we're all still here in a job. What about you, Ryan? Yeah, I mean... The team is definitely something I, that came up to my mind as well. Um, but I think outside of what we've built together, um, you know, when, when you have someone coming off the street, and they could be from anywhere in the world, and they go, oh, this reminds me of a place back home, or this like, feels familiar. And there's that kind of like, warmth that we can provide, and I think that's, that's part of the reason why we do this. So, so that makes me proud every time I can hear. You know, it could be an Aussie or a Brit or someone from Sweden or someone from, I don't know, anywhere, Botswana. And go, oh, this reminds me of like this place back home or there's, oh, I've seen this. I haven't seen something like this since you know, I went on this trip. It just, it, it, it makes me smile. When that Beautiful. We both, we both got to leave in the last, since COVID, we've both been away and come back and it's been so nice to like actually step away from the venues and come back and be like, this is actually quite cool. <laughs> <laughs> like, you, you know, you forget that when you see it every day. <laughs> I'm just dropping by to say, if you've enjoyed this episode with Matt and Ryan so far, check out The Beat.Asia for more exciting content just like this. The Beat Asia is the fastest growing regional publication for local news, happenings, culture, and more. So be sure to check us out at TheBeat.Asia. Okay, let's get back to Matt and Ryan. Okay, guys. This part of the episode brings us to the buzz fire round. We have 15 questions. No thinking, just answering. Um, are you ready? Always ready to not think. What is one ingredient every chef and home cook should start using for their dishes? Chives. Doritos. <laughs> what type of Dorito? Crunched up? <laughs> In like a batter? Yeah. Amazing. MSG. What is the... What's the uh, this is a three-parter. What is the best thing about British cuisine, Canadian cuisine, and Cantonese cuisine? Oh. Cheesy chips with gravy is both I was British say, and, and Canadian. I was going to say gravy for British food. Yeah. <laughs> what is it? Ameri- uh, Canadian? Maple syrup. Yes. Oh, pancakes is good. Yeah. Quebecois maple syrup. Yeah. Cantonese? Uh, anything in a dumpling. dumpling yeah. yeah. God, great minds think alike. We're so similar. <laughs> what is uh, a dim sum? Like. Yeah, what about gravy dim sum? <laughs> what is one concept restaurant that Hong Kong needs in its eating scene? The Spanish food. Does that count? <laughs> yeah, Spanish food counts. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, great minds think alike as well. No, no, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think so. I, I've worked in the fine, <laughs> fine dining Canadian. Maybe <laughs> there you go. Everyone's oh. wearing double denim. <laughs> I'd like a really good kebab shop as well. Oh, yeah. Like, well, when you walk home, I know you've got Ebenezer's in places, but... 27 kebab, you've got a... Uh... But like a proper British kebab shop. Okay. Yeah, like a... Yeah. What do the, what do the Canadians eat when they're, when they're getting back home? Oh, we... Um... French taco. Oh, I guess a little bit of everything. We have our Donair kebabs. <laughs> a little French accent. <laughs> <laughs> You put like a sweet thing on it, right? Yeah, yeah, sweet garlic sauce. So this is obviously the uh, the line that you're going to be repeating every single time someone comes new to Hong Kong. 
um, you're going out on a Saturday night and you're going to have to give them this list of places. They're drinking here before dinner. Where are they going for dinner? Where are they going after to drink and then party? Oh, tough, isn't it? Mm. It's tough. We've got hard work backwards. You've got a part. Quality Cook Club has to be the party. We have to say that. Mm-hmm. Snuck that in. Yeah. yeah. Right in the front. Yeah. Probably go to a cocktail bar for a drink. Someone a diplomat. Koa. Mm-hmm. Koa. Yeah. Um, where to eat? Still like Holy Fook. Mm. It's good, isn't it? It's not mm. like the raging party it used to be. You used to manage. Holy yeah, Fook, but yeah. the food is good there. And it's, a, it's a really good one to tell, really? to tell people in town because it's, it's a very approachable Cantonese food. Absolutely. Mm. Would you agree? I do like it. <laughs> I think it's good. I think it's a nice like entry level for yeah. the, uh, the expats visiting to kind of... Yeah, and you're right in the, you're right in the thick of it all. So indeed, indeed, yeah. indeed. Yeah. What is... One thing that all budding restauranters should know about opening up their restaurants and uh, entering the industry. Oh, get fu- uh, get- Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Got to get well versed in all the uh, licensing and the and the contractors, and that's a it's a whole new it's a whole yeah. new set set of skills. Um, yeah, prepare to not sleep very much. And you're a lawyer. You're an accountant. Yeah. HR. Yeah, everything. Mm, really. Yeah. Yeah, you, you'll learn lots of new skills. Gotta wait in line to. But you won't get paid for most of them. <laughs> <laughs> what is a food trend? I know Hong Kong doesn't really go off food trends that the rest of the world subscribes to that you wish was best left in 2022. Um, I think it's been around for a while now. But I think just avocado on toast <laughs> could die. Yeah, even though I think we've just put it on the menu at Mendel's. <laughs> <laughs> um, Avocados in general, love them, but they're sick of them. Really? Especially at the cost of Hong Kong. I'm surprised with all like the smoothies and like akahi bowls and stuff like that. That's kind of tried to get on and then fallen off. And I think people just got to give up with that. <laughs> people like their carbs and yeah. they can get their fresh fruit and vegetable from the market if they need. They don't need you to blend it up for them. Yeah. <laughs> what is a, a city in Asia beyond Hong Kong? Because it's one of the best places to eat in the region that you think is good for dining? I think, I think Bangkok is the hardest. It's, to me, it's like... The Why? Hardest. It's my favorite place at the moment is when it comes to outside of Hong Kong for cuisine. You've got the perfect blend of street food and fine dining and everything in between. And the price point is just, I think, very fr- fairly reflects what you purchase there. It's not inflated yet. And not just, food outside of Thai cuisine there is... is Blowing up really, really well, yeah. There's some amazing, some amazing restaurants there, which are, are not not Thai, but uh, I love that city. I'd have to say Tokyo. Mm. I just think it's um, Japanese food in Japan is going to be a million times better. Yeah. There's so many techniques of cooking wise that are just so different from a lot of that Western influence that's coming across. And um, I could easily eat five to six meals a day when I'm there <laughs> proper. So and a pizza, yeah. very good pizza. Oh, but every everything that they do. Yeah. Yeah. With precision. To, so beyond the region, if you could eat in one city and specifically one restaurant tonight, where would you be going? Oh. Yeah. Do you want to eat like tough questions? Are they shut down yet already? Do you want to just check that off <laughs> your little yeah. ridge to do list? We can fly there in their imagination. Yeah, that'd be lovely, <laughs> wouldn't it? I'd go to Bangkok and I would go to I'd go to Appia. It's a Roman um, trattoria in mm. Bangkok, which blows my mind anyway. 
because none of that makes sense. But it's really good. They have like dry aged Chiang Mai beef, and it's like some of the best beef you'll ever have. Again, like you'd Carpaccio? Think, no, like big like T-bone steaks. Wow. Yeah. They have like a specific farmer who, um, who's who been just dry aging and doing all this crazy beef stuff up in Chiang Mai. And um, you're paying barely in it, like really well priced, but it's, it's on point with like some of the best stuff coming out of wow. other countries. So that's what I would do. I, I would go much more lowbrow and go to like New Orleans and go to like some hipster uh, sandwich shop, like Turkey and the Wolf. Just a power boy. Yeah, yeah. And just uh, be in that city. The amount of fun you can have going out afterwards would be good. Fine. Bangkok's good too. Though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think you guys have touched on the next question, but new visitors, people who are living here, what are some of the bars and restaurants that they should try in the first few weeks? Where have we said? Definitely, you've got to go Tipomac, Kawa, those kind of places to try that. I think like the real kind of... Some of the you know some of the best bartenders in the city knocking out some great drinks and the service is awesome. That's a really cool thing. What do you reckon food wise? Um, is this for visitors or for for people in Hong Kong so visiting coming oh, here? Ooh, coming over here. Yeah, I don't know. I think you got to also bring them to like a Bowington Road food market, something mm. like that. There's like really good like wok fried chicken, and then that experience is really great. Um, and that's a very Hong Kong experience. I'm hungry now. Yeah. Go, yeah, go to like an island and have some some blue girls. Yeah, that's a drink. <laughs> I was going to ask for clarification. Yeah. <laughs> overseas American. Uh... Yeah, go get some <laughs> and some sing towels and and do yeah. that. Yeah, sing towels also a beer. Yeah, a few long neck bottles. Yeah. A few. Yeah, <laughs> and get some calamari and just yeah. sit and watch the world go by. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, what do you miss about home? Um, space. Hong Kong is a very mm, dense yeah. kind of city. And, uh, a garden. Yeah. 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 Um, but um, I don't know. I don't miss driving. You got to get across all yeah. that space and Absolutely. stuff like that. Um, yeah. I miss supermarkets. Like <laughs> getting a trolley and going shopping. It's quite fun. <laughs> so it's, it sounds sweet, but like everything's like a pound in Tesco in the UK. <laughs> so you can have, get loads of stuff. Yeah. Here you go to M&S and it's a fortune. <laughs> Uh, this is the life we'll be chosen in Hong Kong. <laughs> yeah. um, so beyond the the usual spots to eat and drink, what is a most underrated area that you guys think is great for eating in Hong Kong? Oh. I don't know. I like like Tin Hao, Tai, uh, mm. tai Hang. Good kind of, yeah, there's good a lot of good food around there that's not as expensive. And there's some mixture of old school and then some like cool kind of hip stuff. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a good choice. I think around kind of, Wan Chai Causeway Bay. There's some really good, like, some, um, they're open to, like, 5 a.m. local restaurants down this street, near Spicy Crab, crab Under Bridge, yeah. whatever. Yeah, we've had some, like, Korean fried yeah. chicken at, like, yeah. 3 in the morning before then. Oh, Hoff and Soju. <laughs> yeah. Hoff and Soju is the place which serves chicken till 5 a.m. or something. Whoa. And you get beer towers and soju towers and... Girly drinks. And yeah, the drinks yeah. get bigger and bigger yeah. and you roll around to Amazonia. Yeah, that's good. That's <laughs> a fun night out. We haven't... Uh, that was the last... I, uh, all our food questions ended up with uh, drinking... Results. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that was one of our last nights we had out together pre-COVID was chicken and... Yeah. Gonna have to hit that place up. It's really good. The next question is, what, what's what's keeping you here in Hong Kong? Is it the blue girls? Is it the soju towers? Is it Tin Hao food? <laughs> um, I think it's business, really. A uh, major one. You know, I think it's just so much opportunity in this city that you couldn't get elsewhere. 
I just love the, I just love the feel of the city. It's so safe. It's so welcoming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's oh. energy here. Yeah. I've lived here in Hong Kong longer than any other city or town. Under eight year, right? Yeah. Sweet. So it'll be, it'll be, it's, um, yeah, it'll be weird to change. And I think it's like, it's, it's always been something that I was always like interested in Hong Kong. There's stuff to, to see and do at all times and it's, it's adapting and moving. Yeah. So yeah. you can walk home, you know, never worried. Everything's mm. so convenient yet. You can be on a boat out into somewhere which looks completely different in 20 minutes. Um, what has been your proudest moment of your FMV career? Over the, the whole thing? whole thing. Cool. Oh, I met Anthony Bourdain here in Hong Kong. That's something that sticks out to when me. When he came in I, 2017. Yeah, yeah, wow. Yeah, That's cool. Yeah, he came through. He was on Hollywood Road, and then he came through to PMQ where I was working. And Aberdeen. Stopped, uh, and when I was at Aberdeen Street Social, and wow. we stopped in. got a little selfie with him and said some awkward words. And he just shook my hand and was very polite. And Yeah, it was cool. Beautiful. That I mean, yeah, that's... That was experience, yeah. uh, but um, yeah, I mean, opening opening Shady Acres that mm. first day was probably mm, my mm, mm. my actual proudest kind of moment. Yeah, yeah, opening here, I think getting the uh, <clears throat> we got a mission star for a Han. I think that was a that was a big moment because that's the first and only Thai restaurant with a mission star in Hong wow. Kong. Wow. Um, so yeah, so that that was a big deal because it was it was a, it's a tough cuisine to to kind of put into a premium environment in this city especially um and we've retained set yeah that was good i enjoyed that nice um what is one thing that you love about hong kong and food and one thing you think needs improvement i reckon improvement wise street food is not yeah i wish it was a like slightly bigger variation of street food Mm. yeah i wish that that food truck trend yeah yeah hong kong government's listening actually get your food trucks out we'd love to get in a little talk food vehicle. trucks would be amazing yeah. yeah sadly that died in June yeah. 20. I think mm-hmm. improvement um, like junk food uh, junk boat food that's that would be really good catering these things um, even if you could like heat some things up on the boat instead of just like cold sandwiches to line your stomach um, <laughs> I think what I love about the the roast meats like best in the world right. getting char siu with rice and a fried egg is like the ultimate breakfast well we're still in the water here i think like the fresh prawns that you can get in yeah like aberdeen like get those delivered live to you those are delicious that's a underrated little gem we're still on the ocean it's like, we're very spoiled yeah. with the amount of seafood which comes yeah. in there. yeah and uh, my final question is what are you guys cooking up in the coming months that you want to share with the podcast ah we should probably mention llama yes yes so um we've got a new venue coming um it's going to be cool i can i can tell you it's gonna be called terracotta um you guys are the first people we've told about it um it will be opening up on llama island um let's say around may given how things may 2023 how things tend to go yeah (laughs) um it's gonna be a mediterranean venue um big terrace big experience yeah Yeah. a lot going on there um simple delicious drinks big terrace yeah Yeah. um well executed mediterranean food yeah Sunset, location, hopefully some live music, some accommodation as well, some bits and bobs going on there. But good to expand beyond Soho. Yeah, it is actually. It's uh, it's nice to be somewhere different, and I think Hong Kong Hong Kong has always needed a a beach bar. So we thought, why not? Let's do it. Absolutely. 
Awesome. A little local holiday destination. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Keep your finger on the pulse and tap follow to keep up with the Beat Asia to hear more colorful chats. This episode is hosted by myself, Ruben Verabes. We want to give a special thanks and a shout out to the 65 members of the Shady family and to our guests, Matt Richardson and Ryan Nightingale for chatting with us today. Our producer and editor for this episode is Natsuki Rita. That's all for this one. Catch you in the next episode. 